Katiri Kuster, we're slashing pussy in half. Give us an offer on our best selection of pussy. This is a pussy blowout. All right, we got white pussy, black pussy, Spanish pussy, yellow pussy. We got hot pussy, cold pussy. We got wet pussy. We got smelly pussy. We got hairy pussy, bloody pussy. We got snapping pussy. We got silk pussy, velvet pussy, nalga hide pussy. We even got horse pussy, dog pussy. Chicken pussy, come on, you want pussy? Come on in, pussy lovers. If we don't got it, you don't want it. Come on in, pussy lovers. Attention, pussy shoppers. Take advantage of our penny pussy sales. If you buy one piece of pussy at the regular price, you get another piece of pussy of equal or lesser value for only a penny. Try and be pussy for a penny. If you can find cheaper pussy anywhere, fuck it. <laughs> Radio Drone. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley, and we will be open from dusk till dawn, along with the Cecil himself. Uh, yipper. He had no real comeback. But there no. is also the Peter. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. I watched all the From Dusk Till Dawn movies. Yeah, he's not happy with me right now. Uh, no. Oh, God. So we're going to look at the From Dusk Till Dawn franchise tonight. But before that, you need a VPN. So you got to go to 1201beyond.com backslash VPN, And you'll be able to get NordVPN. With Nord service, you'll be able to encode your data. You'll be able to hide your data. You'll be able to move around different regions. All of a sudden, you want to watch a music video on YouTube that's only available in England. Boom! You're on a server in London. You go to 1201beyond.com beyond.com backslash drome vpn and you'll be able to get nord service for 75 percent off off of a three-year plan that's only three dollars and 79 cents a month and also if you guys get a little on the frisky side i mean valentine's day is over but it's still you got spring coming up maybe get something to plug an exhaust port or something you go to adamandeve.com use the promo code drome and you will get 50 percent off of a single item three free dvds a free sex swing and and free U.S. shipping. Just use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. How did you encounter From Dusk Till Dawn? Because we're all different ages. I know, I saw. I didn't see the first one in the theater, but I remember when it was out. I remember seeing the clips on Entertainment Weekly. I remember seeing the promos. I, I, I just, I really didn't like George Clooney at the time. ER was huge at the time. I, I basically avoided the movie because of George Clooney. But then when it came to video, I saw the first movie and I absolutely loved it. And I actually think George Clooney's a great actor now. But at the time, he was mainly known for ER and that just totally put me off of the movie how did you first encounter from dusk till dawn well I had seen trailers for it um, when it was in the movies I did not end up seeing it in the theater but I did end up renting it later because I was interested by this idea of kind of like a sort of western horror kind of movie with these two you know scumbag bank robber dudes you know obviously Tarantino playing one George Clooney playing the other I thought it looked like a very interesting movie and I 
rented it from, I believe it was either Blockbuster or Rogers Video. I really liked it a lot. It became one of my favorite movies, like almost instantly. I thought the dialogue was very witty. I thought it was very stylish. I loved how it like becomes like a different movie. Like first it's like a heist film and then it becomes like a vampire horror film. And, you know, Tom Savini as a sex machine is great. You know, you got, you got Fred Williamson in there as well. It's like some very cool stuff. I've always very much loved from Dust to Dawn. I very much enjoy the first movie a lot. And I think it's, um, to me, it's definitely like one of those, um, like cult classic, great kind of movies at the time with um tarantino kind of be you know blowing up all over the place uh you know pulp fiction was huge and uh i had seen uh, reservoir dogs on video and i was really excited i thought it was a neat idea um i had also seen el mariachi and uh really liked robert rodriguez and i just thought that the whole concept was cool i didn't really know clooney because i didn't watch er so i just i was like eh, whatever it didn't that didn't really strike me as anything uh that would stop me from seeing it. So uh, I ended up seeing it in the theater and absolutely loved it. Uh, Like Peter said, like pretty much everyone who has seen the movie says it's such an interesting dynamic because it starts off as a heist film. And then it really just as you know, once they get into the titty twister and after Salma Hayek does her little sexy dance, and then it just (laughs) completely shifts gears and turns into a horror film. And one thing that is really funny that somebody recently pointed out to me, they were watching that scene is how well for one obviously you know tarantino keeping with his whole foot fetish thing you know paid uh salma hayek to stick her foot in his mouth also how like how tall she looks and she's yeah she's like so tiny in like reality she looks huge she really the way they they shot her makes her look larger than life and yeah she's uh she's so small but but anyway uh i loved how it just switched gears and how here are these scumbags who you are kind of rooting for because okay now there is an even bigger group of scumbags so to say so it's kind of bad guys (laughs) versus worse guys and they're also trying to save the people that were involved uh the only thing the only i guess real negative about the film i like i loved you know harvey keitel uh juliette lewis was great like i just felt as uh as jesus guy right harvey keitel is jesus guy (laughs) i just felt that like the the guy who played the brother was like not up to par with everybody else Mm. like everybody was really bringing their a game and he just kind of like was there and was so it it made it it hard to care about him because he just he felt like he didn't fit but but yeah i loved uh i loved everything about it i think it's a great movie um it's a lot of fun and it's one of the few movies that really have ever come out where they've taken that that dramatic line down the middle okay the first half is a heist movie the second half is a horror film and there's mm-hmm. a lot of people who have seen it who don't like it because of that they don't like yeah. you know they were like well i was enjoying the heist film and then it becomes this horror film and it sucked i remember seeing it in a theater where there were a lot of people that didn't know and when the flip happened happens it catches people off guard you're like wait yeah. wait they're vampires see okay and- <laughs> I, I would agree with you i would agree with you on that more if all of the advertising was not about it being a vampire movie the promos the tv spots the trailers the fucking poster the on the cover of fangoria they were on the cover of entertainment weekly with one of the vampires they sold this as a vampire movie i don't understand how people didn't know it was a freaking vampire movie the people that don't read uh, fangoria and didn't see the advertising 
anything. Like I, I didn't really see much other than like a few TV spots. Like I knew it was in theaters and then I missed it in theaters, but then saw it on video. So it's like, I, I think it's possible to have not seen the advertising and still be surprised by it because I was. You have to remember too, there are a lot of people that still go to the movies, look at what's playing and say, oh, hey, this movie has George Clooney in it. Let's go see that. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, they're they're not uh, they're not as plugged in as we are now. It's a little more different with the internet being as big as it is. It's yeah. kind of hard to escape that. But back then, like with television, really being the the primary carrier of trailers and whatnot. If you're watching a TV show and you get up to take a piss during the commercial breaks or whatever, there's a, a good chance you're just not going to see any of that stuff. You're not going to be swayed by it. So, mm. and if you, especially if you don't go to the theater that often, you weren't seeing all the trailers. Now it's just, there's a, you go to watch a trailer on YouTube and there's a trailer before the trailer of the trailer <laughs> that you're going to work, you know? So there's you're a trailer being... for, there's a fucking trailer for the trailer. Yeah. There's a trailer <laughs> for the trailer. And then there's a five second pre-trailer for the trailer <laughs> that you're going to watch. But, so you're just but, being inundated with with advertising. Do you know what the real funny thing is? If you go back and watch the trailer for From Dust Till Dawn, clearly the score hadn't been done yet. It's the it's James Horner's Alien score again. Oh, <laughs> so kind of like how the first trailer for RoboCop had, had the, the Terminator, Terminator score, yeah, <laughs> and, and how the trailer for Maximum Overdrive had the Halloween Three score. But if you go back and watch the trailer from From Dust Till Dawn, it has the Aliens music underneath it, which is just really oh strange to me. Oh, that is weird. <laughs> but so From Dust Till Dawn actually started many years before it actually hit the screen. So this actually started with Robert Kurtzman, the K in K and B effects. He came up with the idea for this, for this vampire western sort of thing with hitmen fighting vampires, and he mm. self he self financed it and he made a little promo trailer. It's like three or four minutes long, where it was. There are different versions you can find online. Sometimes they have ACDC music. Sometimes there's Metallica music. Sometimes there's other songs. I think different people put under different songs underneath it. Al Megliacetti, who's been on the show before, did some of the effects for it. Hank Carlson, who's been on the show before and is my friend, did some of the effects on it as well. He built some of the bats and some of the weapons. And it's Joe Pilato from Day of the Dead, Captain Rhodes himself, in the Seth Gecko role. And it's him gearing up and getting ready to, to all the, the ACDC music. And then the bats fly in, he starts shooting them, and then from dusk till dawn. It was just this little thing that Robert Kurtzman made because he had this idea and he wanted to, you know, this is my proof of concept sort of thing. At the time, he was palling around with this video, this, according to him, this loudmouth know-it-all video store clerk that worked at one of the video stores he went to in Los Angeles. This would be Quentin Tarantino. Tarantino was not a name yet. He showed this to Tarantino. Eventually, he hired Tarantino to write a script for it for $2,000 and then... That eventually landed at Universal. Now, Universal had just made Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight at that point, interested in From Dust Till Dawn as a Tales from the Crypt movie. This was almost the second Tales from the Crypt movie, but then there are differing stories on what happened of why Universal ended up passing on it, but they ended up going with Bordello of Blood for the sequel to Demon Knight. They still wanted a vampire story, but they went with a different vampire story. So From Dust Till Dawn got returned to Kurtzman, and then Tarantino obviously rewrote it because what turned into the movie is not 
$2,000 script unknown Tarantino wrote. And then it landed in the hands of Robert Rodriguez. They ended up getting about between 15 and 19 million. Tarantino had already made Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction by this point, so he had an in with Miramax. Let's leave the warthog in the room out of this because Miramax is involved from here on out. Miramax made this movie and released it, and it was a huge, huge hit. He was able to, because Tarantino had directed an episode of ER, he was able to talk George Clooney into doing this. And this was not George Clooney's first movie, because obviously George Clooney had been doing movies all throughout the Grizzly time he was a too. TV star. Well, and, you know, <laughs> Return of the Killer Tomatoes, things like that. This was the movie that George Clooney thought could make him a movie star. This was kind of his breakout role, if you will. Mm. This was his first, man, this guy can actually carry a movie. And he certainly can. He was really yeah. great in it. Oh, he, he's, really, fan, really he's fantastic in it. Yeah. And, th- and then you get the little bit of the ego of Tarantino casting himself as one of the main characters because Tarantino's fine in small roles like you know dead nigger storage in Pulp Fiction he's fine in that you know he's fine as he's he's fine as the like a virgin guy in Reservoir, Reservoir Dogs. Dogs as a lead the man is not a good actor he's fine he in small fine. roles I thought I thought he was fine in From Dust Till Dawn I thought he worked yeah I thought Cause, he played cause he a really good like, weirdo because yeah he was like a weirdo like kind of a creep and I think it really it really worked like he was meant to be kind of of like the unlikable brother and I, I thought that was fine because he, he's surrounded by this cast of like Harvey Keitel and Juliette Lewis and Fred Williamson and this he comes across as as weak and and that's also the reason because he's acting in it that he chose not to direct it a lot of people mm-hmm. mistakenly think that this was a co-directed movie that Tarantino directed half the movie and Rodriguez directed half the movie and that's false it's a Rodriguez film yeah Rodriguez directed everything I think at some point it was sold as such. Like it was half Tarantino, half Rodriguez as a way to kind of like draw in more people because yes. they knew that Tarantino was was a, a, a Rod- sell. Rodriguez they wasn't that a that sellable name there. yet, yeah. But yeah, Robert Rodriguez wasn't, you know, the name that he is now. So yeah. Fortunately, I can't go back, you know, completely verify that. But I re- really remember that was kind of the big thing that it was like, hey, this is half Tarantino, half Rodriguez. It's a, yeah. you know. I, I I see why people might think that, because the first half has a lot of Tarantino shots in that. Rodriguez talks on some of the extras on the DVDs. He did that on purpose. He was trying to make it, you know, shoot the first half like Tarantino would have. Oh, so, like a Tarantino, Tarantino-esque kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, but Robert Rodriguez directed the, the entire movie, despite what, what you see elsewhere. It, it's, it's kind of interesting, because you got to remember, Rodriguez has only made two movies at this point. El Mariachi, which, you know, is a very indie film film and Desperado and yet this has got so many Robert Rodriguez hallmarks to it I mean you if you know Robert Rodriguez's action stuff this has got his style all over it oh definitely to the point he says this is an unofficial sequel to Desperado he has <laughs> well, many it takes place in like the same place technically he actually has a lot of the if you go and watch Desperado and then you watch from dusk till dawn a lot of the secondary characters lots of the hitmen hitmen you know the the goons and stuff in Desperado that get killed yeah. the same actors are wearing the same costumes as vampires in the well, titty twister what? he did that on purpose as kind of an in joke and kind of according to him to make it a sort of kind of almost maybe not really sequel to Desperado. Well, like like Danny Trejo, I think shows up again, right? Like that's a that's a returning returning character. Well, Danny Trejo is the only actor that's in all three of the From 
Dusk Till Dawn movies, yes. and he's the same character in two of them, and then he's his own brother in one of them because that <laughs> makes sense. So yeah, that that kind of ties it. Uh, that sort of ties it in. Well, I I do have some problems <laughs> with this, like the ending. We see that you know the titty twisters built on this giant yeah. you know, Aztec like temple, Az- and you got the Aztec. wreckage of all the bikers and stuff that they've robbed, and you think to yourself, so no one's ever flown a helicopter over this. The DEA flies helicopters over Mexico all the time. No one's noticed this. No one's noticed that every time a, a big shipment goes through Mexico, oh, it God and, and damn it, the, it's a movie. But, yeah, but, but it then, was meant to be like a big like, oh my God. Yeah, but it doesn't make yeah, sense. Is my point. And you it know, looks fucking, so it, it looks great too. Like it's an awesome set piece at the end when you see it. That it's like this like Aztec temple, and you see all these like corpses and bodies, and it's like this like big tower, and it's like it's awesome. It's a great, it's a great looking thing. And sure, realistically, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but aesthetically, it's great. There are other things like the vampires. The vampires spread. There are so many of them in this. You think to yourself, so if even if they only do the massacre once a week, because remember in the movie they weren't meaning to massacre everybody in the bar right then. It was when Tarantino's hand was bleeding that one lost control and then it just spun out of control. So I don't think this is the vampires massacring everybody and wrecking the bar as a nightly thing. But at the same time, they spread so easily. How come this is not a worldwide planet terror style plague at this point? Especially because we see in the later movies, just a one bite, boom, vampire, vampire. And then that vampire turns two more. It's like, this should be like a zombie plague kind of thing. And then also the fact it really must suck to be a vampire these things die so easy i mean you can look at them wrong and their heart explodes these things <laughs> die like bitches i wouldn't tack on the um the sequel stuff like as far as the first like if you're gonna have problems with the first one but then talk about how the second one it it, it doesn't make sense it's like you know like two and three were never envisioned when they made the first one no so i wouldn't hold one accountable to the nonsense that they did with two and three as far as the vampires being being weak they they were and they weren't you know i think it was tough i feel like they they were kind of hard to kill yeah they i I mean it was like they were easy to kill when the plot required it to be i kind of you know that's just typical thing like you're again stuff that you're not really thinking about too much when you're first watching it you know upon multiple viewings you're like hey maybe that one but usually a lot of times they died because they just they were overzealous they uh they would you know jump and and it just so happened they would get them to land on a on a on a a splinter of wood and (laughs) and it would kill them and I, I, i also i also like the fact that that they are wearing clothes and then they turn into a vampire and the vampires are naked and then they turn back into a human and they're wearing their clothes again. So where does their clothes go when they turn into a vampire? I don't know, man. Where does does the Hulk's uh, pants go when he turns into the Hulk? There are problems, but the first movie, huge hit. It became a giant giant hit on video, a big theatrical hit. And so Miramax, although it took them three years to do it, said immediately, we need a sequel. Now, in the meantime, there was a a PC video game that absolutely nobody played, and the few people that did say it's terrible. It got awful reviews at the time, and it's picked apart as being a barely playable game now that you when you see youtube people doing it it horrible hit detection it just picks up with seth going and 
killing more vampires. It's, mm. you know, whatever. But then eventually Miramax brought out two direct-to-video sequels, technically back-to-back, but they, they came out months, uh, about three or four months apart. Were they shot? They were definitely shot at like pretty much the same time. Well, the first one would be From Dust Till Dawn to Texas Blood Money, shot by, by Scott Spiegel, who is a protege of Sam Raimi, and good God can you tell. Now, I found an article that says it had a budget of $5 million, and I don't believe that for a second. I think that was most of that was securing like Robert Patrick. Well, because yeah, I've seen half million dollar Roger Corman movies that look more expensive than yeah. From Dust Till Dawn too. I'm very skeptical that this cost five million dollars, despite what I'm reading. Definitely more of like a securing an actor kind of thing because it it, do, it does not look like or feel like a five million dollar film at all. That's part of the problem. It feels cheap all the way through. It is yep. cheap, cheap, cheap. It's shot cheap. It's shot uh, lighting wise very flat although Scott Spiegel see here's the thing with Scott Spiegel okay he's a protege of Sam Raimi you know they grew up together and he wrote Evil Dead 2 with him and stuff and he's a good he's a good director like he's a fine filmmaker I disagree with that because see okay Sam Raimi loves his POV shots you know, Sam right. Raimi loves an object's POV on something, but Sam Raimi knows when to use that. Scott right. Spiegel didn't seem to pick that part up. Every single object that can have a POV shot in this movie has a POV shot. A phone cord has a POV shot. A fan. A safe. A car headlight. A building. A bat. A spider. Everything. <laughs> if, if something can have... They have the dog drinking water with a POV shot from inside the dog's water dish. Every Everything that can have a POV shot has one because Scott Spiegel doesn't seem to know when to use this technique, so he uses it all the time. And he does that on on his other movies, too. uh, I thought he did a good job with Intruder. Uh, that was which... that was my thing where <laughs> I went I I knew Intruder and then when they announced that they were doing From Dust Till Dawn because I remember they marketed them as From Dust Till Dawn two and three I don't know whether or not they shot them back to back but I remember like either seeing a trailer on on a on a DVD or I'm sorry or a VHS or whatever DVD or whatever at that time and it was like oh my God we got two more From Dust Till Dawn movies coming out this is going to be great this yeah. one's directed by Scott Spiegel oh the Intruder guy this should be great it, it, it's not and and you see he. He didn't seem to learn from from Dust Till Dawn 2 because Hostel 3 he directed the same way with POV shots of every that that's his thing. I'm the guy who has every object have a POV shot whether it makes sense or not. <laughs> but from Dust Till Dawn 2 it it I think tries to emulate the style of the first one in the fact that it's a heist movie and the first yeah. and the first ha- uh, well, the first quarter is just a heist movie and then vampires come in because in this one it's only 25 minutes before the vampires show up and then it it yeah, becomes it becomes quick. almost a zombie movie a vampire bites somebody in the crew and then that guy hides it from them and then they bite somebody else and then eventually it's just Robert Patrick and Texas Ranger fighting all of these vampires that are just coming out of nowhere and the last 20 minutes are are just fighting vampires. Also, this movie is padded beyond belief. It's it only it's only an hour twenty, and it feels long. It, it feels, feels long. really, really long. Yes, those battle at the end where the vampires are trying to kill all the cops before the sun comes up just feels endless <laughs> it does oh my god i mean i i love robert patrick i really do i really really do i think he's a fantastic actor but my god that movie is i would call it abysmal 
it's pretty bad. And 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 I don't know if this these next two things I'm going to point out about the movie are due to a low budget or an inexperienced director. At one point, I realized there are two scenes that are edited in the wrong order. At the beginning, when Robert Patrick's getting the crew together, he goes to Raymond Cruz, who's, you know, doing all the steroids and everything, and he's, he's giving right. some steroids on his dog, and yeah. he's like, you know, I'm putting a crew together, we got this job, and the guy goes, I ain't working with Ray Bob again, and then Robert Patrick says, well, too bad, Ray Bob's in. And then they cut to the very next scene where he goes and recruits Ray Bob. Oh, and I'm like, oh, those are in the wrong order, aren't they? And then there's another scene near the beginning. Well, maybe like in that, uh, in the context of that scene, maybe he was like trying to convince the other guy to join because he was claiming the other guy already did by telling him it's like, oh, well, this guy's already in, so you're in. And then like he didn't actually recruit him, so he went and actually recruited him for the next scene. I don't know. I mean, I don't think, I honestly don't think they were actually that clever to do that, so it probably was edited in the wrong order. And then there's another scene near the beginning the Texas Rangers are rousting Robert Patrick and his girlfriend at, at a hotel room. And you can see, because they leave the door open, you can see this really fake-looking sky and fake-looking tree that just looked painted on a wall. And I thought, okay, you know, he, he's at a cheap motel. Maybe that's, you know, the, the, the cheesy decor in the hallway or something. Right. Then they cut to the cops leaving, and his room was facing the outside. And I went, oh, that was supposed to be the matte painting of outdoors. <laughs> like, really? This this next one, I can't blame on Scott Spiegel. This was the marketing department, because Bruce Campbell and, and Kimberly Amber Thiessen are in the movie, in a movie that Robert Patrick is watching in his hotel room at the very beginning. Yes. And they get killed right away within a movie within a movie. <laughs> well, the marketing department decided those are the two biggest actors on the cast. This movie is starring Bruce Campbell and oh. Kimberly Amber Thiessen, as well as Robert Patrick. And I thought, that's just sleazy as fuck, man. Because no, is. not only are they not starring in it, they're in less than two minutes of the movie, they're not they're even in, in the movie, movie technically. Movie. Yeah. And I will say, like, I will give the film credit in terms of, like, that is kind of a highlight of from Dustin Dawn 2 is the Tiffany Amber Thiessen, Bruce Campbell little moment movie within a movie that was actually really, really entertaining. I will give it that. Like, I'll at least give it that. Well, and then there's also the fact that this movie takes place one day after the first movie. Because Which Mike... is bullshit. <laughs> exactly. But Michael Parks' real-life son, James Parks, who, who plays his son, his character's son, in this movie, mentions his dad was killed yesterday. That's why the Texas Rangers are rousting everybody. So you go, so wait a minute. But when the Titty Twister is completely rebuilt, remember, they blew it up at the end of the first movie. And yeah. they actually accidentally really blew it up. Up. They accidentally really set the set on fire and screwed themselves a little bit. But the Titty Twist is completely rebuilt, and I'm just going, oh, come on with this. <laughs> Those vampires worked really hard overnight. They're very good bricklayers. Yes, they were all contractors before <laughs> they were turned into vampires. That's right. They've been they've been perfecting their trade over the past few hundred years uh, <laughs> at the Titty Twister. As I said, I was really excited initially watching it because, uh, you know, Scott Spiegel, I thought it was cool. I was like the fact that we were getting a sequel, that uh, it kind of came from out of nowhere. It opened, you know, again, excited. Ooh, hey, Tiffany Amber Thiessen. Oh, Bruce Campbell, this is going to be great. And then they had the, the vampire mouth POV shot, and I kind of laughed. And then I was like, oh, that was just the movie in the movie. And then the real movie started, and oh, man, 
it's it's really terrible and it's such a shame because i love robert patrick you know danny trejo and it just like it it felt like it should have been better it just sucked like everything that was good about the original one it was like they did a really bad low budget uh it almost feels like a ripoff of of the first one doesn't it it really does it's like because they kind of shamelessly did hell i i talk constantly about movies that are shameless ripoffs but they end up being entertaining in their own right this was a shameless ripoff but they didn't do anything entertaining it felt cheap it felt boring you said it was padded it just it kept going on and on and it, it felt way longer than it was and at the end, I was really upset because I was like, I, you know, I was looking forward to two and three. And then I saw this. I'm like, wow, this really sucked. Oh, no, there's a third one. Oh, well, the third one can't be as bad as this one, I hope. Two, obviously with direct-to-video, we don't get numbers. But two, I remember at the time, was not reviewed very well. Now, remember, at this point, three isn't out yet, so they don't know anything about that. But mm-hmm. two was just savaged by the horror fans as this is not what we want. And now, this is the reason that I think these were not shot back-to-back. Because Tarantino and Rodriguez had almost nothing to do with From Dust Till Dawn to Texas Blood Money. They're they're basically Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez present. Whereas when you get to three, they're both credited with story as well. So I Mm. think two went so far off the rails, Tarantino and Rodriguez said, all right, we at least got to contribute something to three and maybe show up on set one or two days. I actually think three is trying to correct everything. It almost feels like it's an overcorrection, though, because three flopped as well. There was meant to be a four. Supposedly there was a script written, but it never went anywhere after three was not received any better than, than two was. But then later that year, in 1999, From Dust Till Dawn 3, The Hangman's Daughter comes out. I think they shouldn't have called this three because it's a prequel. It's about the origin story as a Western yeah, of, of Salma Hayek's character. Like a, so calling it three, like yeah. So calling it three is pretty dumb, actually. And and they all they make a lot of odd choices in this movie. So, okay, it's a prequel and it's a Western. It's also a virtual remake of the first movie. But at the (laughs) same time, they have Michael Parks in a bizarre missed opportunity. So you have Michael Parks back. Actually, I will say, I will give the movie this credit. Michael Parks is actually really good in this movie. I thought he was great. Oh, he well, Michael Parks is great in anything. But he he was fantastic in this. Like, if there's anything worth watching in Dust Till Dawn 3, the weird uh, Western prequel, I would say Michael Parks is, is the... A worth watching thing like he's really f-ing good i really liked him a lot well this time it's directed by pj pence who basically did lots of tv stuff and direct-to-video sequel prequels like smoke and aces 2 assassin's ball which is actually a prequel to smoke and aces i guess that's his <laughs> thing to make pre to make prequels with a sequel title but whatever instead of having michael parks say play the relative or the descendant the ancestor of the character he played in the first movie they have him playing actual real life author ambrose bierce who most people might know as being the author of probably the most famous thing he ever did was an occurrence at owl creek bridge that story and in real life what happened was he went to mexico and vanished and so they kind of have him playing ambrose and going to mexico and vanishing because of the vampires but this one is almost a virtual remake 
remake of the first movie. The first half is about a robbery. It's about criminals taking hostages. They're being pursued by the police. So they're on the run. They find refuge in a bar. It's not called the Titty Twister in this, but it's the Titty Twister. It's it's some, you know, the Titty Twister in Mexican. And then it turns out there's vampires and then everybody has to team up. And at the end, it's just one person and then the Seth Gecko stand in. It's, it's, I think this was an overcorrection where they basically made a re- a cheap direct-to-video remake of the first movie. That's one of the many reasons this doesn't work. I'll go into more in a little bit. I didn't hate this one as much as I did the the second one. I think more so because I was prepared. Like the second one I went in, I'm like, this is going to be great. <laughs> Your expectations were bad. lowered after Texas Blood Money, huh? Exactly. They were, they were lowered. So I went into the third one. I'm like, okay, well, you know what? That wasn't as bad as two. Uh, I liked that... It was a prequel, even though it was like pretty much the same movie as the first movie, only done on a lower budget with not nearly as charismatic of a cast. No, I mean, Michael Parks, yes, was amazing, but it's just eh. I mean, also because it was kind of a Western and, you know, I'm not crazy about Westerns. Westerns, Yeah. Yeah. So it but I mean, but that that's kind of a testament to how bad two was that three (laughs) was a Western. I don't like Westerns, but I ended up liking it more than two. Uh, how much Michael Parks we got? Yeah, That's it just much it, it felt better. It felt uh, like it was directed a little bit more competently, which was kind of surprising me again because I I had liked Scott Spiegel, but uh, I don't know what what he was thinking of when he when he did the second <laughs> one. It just was so bad. There there was a pretty close release schedule, so I don't know if uh, Tarantino and and Rodriguez even were on set. I think they maybe just paid them. Said, hey, two did so bad. Here's a couple extra bucks. Let us put your name on this, uh, you know, in in a higher capacity so that people will uh, will think that you had some sort of involvement and maybe we'll give it a shot. And it uh, it didn't work. I mean, you know, a bad movie is a bad movie, regardless of whose name is attached to it. When I see someone's name attached to it, you know, a Wes Craven presents or something that doesn't necessarily mean that they had any kind of involvement. So I think but. A lot of people still get fooled by it. Still, they see a name on there and they think, oh, you know, James Cameron had something to do with this. And it's, well, like, it's like with uh, with Hostel, where they had like presented or produced by Quentin Tarantino. And people assumed right away that that was like going to be a Tarantino film. But it was obviously Eli Roth. Which, yeah. iron- ironically enough, Scott Spiegel did Hostel 3, <laughs> which was also full of, like I said, pointless POV shots. The thing with Hostel 3, I did feel like it was a little bit more restrained, and I actually, I liked Hostel 3, even though I was like, oh God, this is not going to be good, but I was surprised <laughs> at how much I... From Dust Till Dawn 3, it, it has a lot of bizarre decisions in it. God-awful CGI. Okay, the CGI in the first movie wasn't great, but that was about on par for mid '90s CGI, right? And they used it very sparingly in the first. Yeah, movie. Yeah, it didn't it really wasn't... take you out of the movie. Yeah, right. It well, and they also blended it with practical effects in the first movie. Right. It was the CGI was enhancing the practicals. They almost used straight CGI in the third movie, and this is 1999 low budget CGI. It's all, I mean, it literally looks like at, at one point when Rebecca Gayhart is dying. I actually thought this was a cutscene from a Sega CD game. It was so <laughs> fake looking. It was like, oh God, you did that over a weekend, didn't you? 32X looking shit. But there's also other strange decisions, like the whole Ambrose Bierce thing. You have Michael Parks. Why is he not a relative 
of that Michael Parr, of the Michael Parr scared from the first movie. Then there's the fact this movie also has some editing mistakes in it. There's one shot where they're in the sewers underneath the, the titty twister, and they're they're using a torch to like look around. A minute later, they use that exact same shot in reverse. <laughs> and I'm like, are you so... Either you didn't shoot the coverage you needed, or you're so lazy you think we're not going to notice... For one thing, the flame is going in the wrong direction, you know? It's... <laughs> It's, but it's the exact same shot from a minute ago, for God's sake. Then there oh, is the just... fact that, I okay, again, just like part two, this thing is padded beyond belief. Very it feels, cheap. It, incredibly cheap. It feels so stretched out. And that said, you can tell there's a lot of cut scenes as well. So they were mm. padding as well as cutting scenes because when not Seth Gecko gets captured, they all get captured at one point. He's hung upside down and the vampires are taunting him, blah, blah, blah. His shirt is fine. Then he escapes out of that and runs to the, the middle of the titty twister and his shirt is completely ripped up and he has whip marks all over his back. So there's clearly some like cut stuff. Yeah, so here. you're like, okay, clearly a, a cut scene, but screw the continuity error that creates, I guess. <laughs> and, and then there's the fact of, now, I do not mind Orlando Jones. I think in the right role, the guy works perfectly. Mm. I don't understand why he's in this movie. He literally shows up, plays a comical goof brush salesman in Mexico, and he immediately gets killed. You literally could have cut Orlando Jones out of this movie and it wouldn't have made a lick of difference. So why was Orlando Jones in this movie then? <laughs> If you ask that question, you might as well ask, like, why was this movie even made? But maybe it was a case of, like, with Brendan Fraser with G.I. Joe. He was uh, <laughs> a fan. Maybe he was a fan of the original and said, hey, I'll come on for a day and, and shoot a scene. And I want to be killed by a vampire. Maybe he knew the director. And they said, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you know, you, I mean, at the time, you know, people knew who Orlando Jones was. He had the 7-Up you know? campaign at the, at the time, yeah. So, yeah, you know, come in, shoot the scene, what you know, and die, whatever. You know, bring a little, uh. Bring a little comedy to it. Uh, you know, you never, you know, things pop up, things happen on on uh, on a set. So was maybe he that's the, uh, was he the make seven up yours guy? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, I love that guy. But then there was also one really bizarre decision. And I think this was maybe going to play into what was supposed to be the fourth movie. So Michael Parks is playing Ambrose Bierce, as I said. He does not get bit. Okay. At the end, he survives. He and not Seth Gecko survive. And it is daytime and they go on their separate ways. But there's a post credit scene where Michael Parks, looking exactly like he does as Ambrose Bierce, is in a modern bar telling this story of Hangman's daughter to a patron who is not interested and he rips the guy's heart out and eats it and then turns into a vampire and you just say what well obviously he got bit at some point after the events of the of the third movie so he I, tripped and fell on a tooth I, yes. I i don't i don't know if that was meant to set up the fourth movie or not but after after these were so poorly received there was no fourth movie obviously not and then the franchise just kind of you know it came out on dvd and you know was ignored there and all that and then they made the tv well, the series. first one sold like gangbusters i, I mean the franchise and then in 2014, Robert Rodriguez is a much bigger name now. He has his own TV network, the El Rey Network, which I quite like a lot, actually. He wanted to make the first original series for that network, and it was going to be From Dust Till Dawn. And it's a complete reboot. 
the first season is a remake of the first movie. And then after that, it just goes off the rails into totally different directions, doesn't follow the direct-to-video sequels at all. Because, like, in episode 7 of the TV series, that's when they wind up at the Titty Twister. And, ironically enough, you have Robert Patrick playing the Harvey Keitel role of the preacher. <laughs> So hmm. Robert, pa- Robert Patrick, cool. that's actually, that's really cool. I've only seen the first season and I did not really dig it. It's shot really cheap looking. It's shot on digital video, which gives it also a very cheap look. It doesn't feel like Robert Rodriguez. It felt like a Hulu program to me. Mm. The, the TV series, I've heard it gets better in seasons two and three, but season one did not engage me enough to care. And uh. I, I'm not going to keep watching a show I didn't like, just hoping it gets better later. Technically, it hasn't been canceled yet, even though there hasn't been a season in a couple of years. Rodriguez keeps saying there will be a season four, even though all the actors have been released from their contracts. And I think one of the biggest problems with at least the first season is the, the, the guy playing Seth Gecko doesn't have a tenth of the charisma that George Clooney had. They have the Richie character, Quentin Tarantino's character. He's he's played, you can almost see Henry Rollins playing the part. He's played very straight, very cold, very serial killery instead of the somewhat kind of fun version of the sex offender that Tarantino played who could, Tarantino's version could blend into society. He was like weirdly like weirdly endearing in a way. You know, he was quiet and soft-spoken. The TV series version of Richie? No, you'd immediately go, okay, this guy is a serial killer. (laughs) So I don't like the TV series. I'm not saying I won't at some point watch seasons two and three. Someone wants to pick up the DVDs from me at Amazon, I'll watch them. But I only bought the first season because it was five bucks. I figured five bucks, I like From Dust Till Dawn, I'll give it a shot. That's that's where the franchise ends at this point. So as a franchise, I do not think this works. I really, I really dig the first movie. I think it's got a great visual style. I think the bulk of it still works. I like some of the, the some of the CGI has dated a little bit, but I think the first movie works really good. But then there was also what was going to be the first sequel. Originally they wanted to, to make a sequel right away when it was a surprise hit. And they wanted Juliette Lewis's character to come back. They knew they couldn't get George Clooney. They wanted Juliette uh-huh. Lewis's character to come back to try and expose the vampires to the world and the vampires try and stop her. Does that sound familiar at all? Like 30 Days of Night, Dark Days? As sort of a... <laughs> unofficial and and, you know they did this in the comics first okay so i'm not saying 30 days of night was a ripoff at all in the sequel to 30 days of night the direct-to-video sequel plot wise it sounds like it's basically the original plot for from dusk till dawn 2 and i would have liked that honestly because dark dark days for 30 days of night god awful movie but the comic it was based on i loved i thought that was that was how you do a goddamn sequel without repeating yourself well, so the From Dust Till Dawn franchise, like I said, it could have gone in a different direction, but Juliette Lewis wouldn't come back. And then they, a couple of years later, went to the direct-to-video route. And I think, on paper, it could have worked. Making the direct-to-video sequels with lower budgets, set in the same universe, on paper worked. They were bad scripts. They clearly didn't have the budget that they needed. 
And I think that hurt the franchise. Because like I said, they planned a fourth movie. So they really thought this is an ongoing, you know, every year, every two years, we're going to have a a From Dust Till Dawn sequel. Well, Texas Blood Money and Hangman's Daughter pretty much put the final nail in the coffin of that. I think that the first one is absolutely fantastic. It is uh, one of the best hybrid heist vampire movies, if not one of the only hybrid heist vampire movies out there. It's just really good, uh, you know, effects wise. Uh, You know, I'm willing to forgive some of the CG. Uh, but the practicals are great. Uh, the acting is great. Uh, the Gecko Brothers, just they they pair really well together. It's just an entertaining movie. Two and three are, are both not good. It was, as is the, the thing with a lot of, it, w- it was really big in the 90s where they were doing a lot of direct-to-video knockoffs, uh, like sequels, sequel and prequel. So I don't really fault that. I think that there's a lot of potential there if they wanted to do it as a franchise, but just it would need the problem proper handling you don't just kind of pass it off uh and give it some uh, half-baked script and give it uh because both movies really are more or less remakes of the first movie and if you're going to do sequels you you don't do just the exact same thing you kind of take that initial story and you go in a different direction with it i understand you're going to want to kind of keep it grounded maybe keep it at the titty twister or something but you're going to need to do something or else people are just going to be like okay this is just a bad version of an already good movie so why are we going to continue to watch this there's potential there but more than likely like you said uh there's a more of a chance that we're going to get a reboot or a sequel or something and we don't need that we've already had one really amazing film you can't do better you're not gonna never you'll never capture that magic again from 1996 No, you'll never capture that magic again from Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez, arguably, I don't want to say in their prime, but in their hungry days. They were still raw at that point. Yeah. Exactly. When they were, they were still raw. They were still just like, uh, there were so many Hollywood outsiders kind of thing. Well, yeah. I mean, that's why, oh God. they They were both still kind of just like kind of like exploitation directors at that time. Yeah, you know, yeah, but I mean it's it's basically, you know, pointing out that they are they are out I mean even still as big as they've become, they still kind of do things on their own, you know, in their own way. And I think that's why they continue to be successful more or less. Uh, cuz they make, you know, they they kind of make the movies and stuff that they want to make as opposed to making what would obviously be the blockbuster, you know, and their but, stuff but ends up su- succeeding most of the time. You know, but, I mean but, Grindhouse but unfortunately didn't do well, but 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 there's also Rodriguez and Tarantino, their styles complement each other so well, honestly. It, 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 was, it was sort of like a marriage made in, in, in heaven, you know, so, sort of like, like with music. Meatloaf was just okay. Jim Steinman was just okay. You put Jim Steinman and Meatloaf together, and you've got magic. Rodriguez, I like him as a director. Tarantino, I like him as a director. You put them together, you just get magic. I think their styles complemented each other perfectly for this movie, mm. for the first movie. Yeah so well together oh i agree and also if if you guys ever get a chance to see from dust till dawn the first movie on tv the tv version is hilarious with all of the (laughs) edits that need to be made they even they even have cgi the titty twister into the kitty twister (laughs) (laughs) i wish i I were joking i am not joking I think I actually remember seeing that on TV. So if you guys get a chance to see the TV version just for like, I remember when ABC first showed Pulp Fiction and I said, why? What's the point? Yippee-ki-yay, Mr. Falcon. (laughs) If he's in Indochina, I want a black brother to pop out and pop a cap in his rear end. 
<laughs> what was uh monkey i'm tired of these yeah, these monkey, monkey these monkey snakes, snakes on this monday to friday plane that's right. first movie is great it's a total cult classic really awesome stuff in there uh it was a total passion project from tarantino and from rodriguez purposely got fred williamson because they wanted to to promote one of their favorite uh zb great actors and he's fantastic um, in it and he's great he's really awesome in it same with um tom savini himself sent in his own audition tape of him playing with the sex machine character who they originally were going to go for a taller leaner actor but then they decided to write it around Savini's character because he sent in this it's a great audition tape I actually saw footage of it in Savini's documentary Smoke and Mirrors I believe you can watch it on Shutter. it was really cool it was really cool to see that and it was cool to find out about that so the first movie is just it's magic it's real just cult movie greatness uh, George Clooney delivering one of his best performances ever Tarantino is very endearing in it Fred Williamson of course awesome Tom Savini was really cool in just uh just everybody every, everybody did a great job in that film and then you have two i would suggest skipping that one that sucked three is fun because it has a lot of michael parks being uh insane michael parks in it i would i would recommend three not so much two but honestly if you just want to check out the whole thing watch all three get your own opinion on it check out the show i guess i haven't really watched the show but as a franchise obviously it's not very successful obviously the sequels are nowhere near as good as the first movie the only one i could really truly honestly recommend as like a good film is is the first one like the the first from dust till dawn is is a great movie that's pretty much it. All right, Ramblers, let's get rambling. So, <laughs> th- that said, where can people find Cecil rambling on? You can find me at uh, goodbadflix.com as well as goodbadflix on YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, and 1201beyond.com. Where can we find the one, the only, the titty twister himself, the Peter? I do twist some titties, and you can find me twisting titties at uh, Cinematica on Twitter, Facebook, the Cinemasticist, YouTube, the Cinemasticist, of course, 1201beyond.com with other fine programming, and at Zinematica for Patreon. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. Contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Check out the franchise. I'd be I'd be very curious to hear if people actually did like 2 and 3, because there's got to be somebody out there who likes 2 and 3. It wasn't <laughs> us, but it's there's got to be somebody out there hey, that I, did. I didn't mind 3. I didn't mind hey, 3. They don't have a zero on the IMDb, so there are people out there that do like it. <laughs> Fair enough. On that note, keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.